Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and the podcast when you follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Walk in Truth Show. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 18, called Comfort One Another with These Words. Here's an ambition verse, a, a target. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And the, the verse kind of rounds out the language here because it means to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. I was doing some research on this and Proverbs 16, 27 in the Living Bible says this. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. And some people, in light of the teaching of the Word of God on the resurrection and rapture, which we're about to get to, had become busybodies, and apparently they had stopped working, and they said, you know what, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm just going to prepare for the second coming and the rapture and all of that. And they started becoming busybodies, and they were in other people's business, and they were mooching off other people. And in these letters, Paul's going to address things like, if people don't work, then they shouldn't eat. You should be working with your hands and working hard. Look, in our generation that is up and coming, that has lived in this idea of technology and the tech world, and I know there's a lot of fun things that go with that, there is a beauty in hard work. Amen? And I spend a lot of my time in books and before computers, but I enjoy just mowing my lawn and, you know, pulling weeds just so I can do some physical labor. How many of you remember the movie Pale Rider? Clint Eastwood? If you haven't seen that movie, you need to repent and just return to your first love. Anyway, well, in that movie, he comes back, and this is this whole story, but he's a preacher, and uh, he says, why don't you put me to work to this guy? And this guy says, oh, well, if we have something spiritual around here, we'll get you to do it. And he goes, the spirit ain't worth spit without a little hard work. <laughs> There's Clint Eastwood on spiritual matters. Anyway, uh, we'll move on. <laughs> Look, Paul was a tent maker. And he had set an example in Thessalonica that even though he was an apostle, even though he had the right to ask for you know, monetary support, In many of the towns, he didn't do it. He worked hard with his hands. And there's a beauty to hard work. And if you're a believer and you work for a company, one of your greatest examples before a watching world will be your work ethic. Amen? And so it's good for, I think, our younger generation to do a little work with dad. And, you know, I'm not the most handy person in the world, but... I do think that there's a value just getting out there and just working hard and, and looking at a lawn freshly cut and just going, yeah, it's good, right? Or whatever you enjoy doing. See, if you are not busy in work and in the gospel proclamation, you'll become a busy body. And you, if you're idle, it becomes the devil's playground. Right now, there's obviously a lot of people out of work, but there's also a lot of people perhaps taking advantage of help. And so I'll just let that sit for what it's worth. But 
I'll say to you, there is a beauty in work. And we were made to work. And by the way, work is not a result of the fall because Adam was told to tend the garden before they fell. And so there's a beauty in a, uh, an example in work. And so that you behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So that your daily life, verse 12, NIV, win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And all God's people said, hmm. See, we live in a day right now where a message is coming to American society that the government will take care of you. I, I, that's not a biblical ethic, you guys. Now, obviously, we rejoice when the government can step in and help people. Don't get me wrong. But I think we have leaned so far this way that we've lost sight of what the biblical ethic is, and that is that each person works hard and takes care of themselves and their family. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, when Paul talks about widows, he says family members should take care of widows that are widows indeed. And if family can't do it, or if there's no family, then the church steps in. Boy, we've moved a long distance from that, I would say, in the confessing church in America. And so we move now from those exhortations about love and working hard to another matter, and that is the idea of the resurrection and the rapture. Let's take a look. Now, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve or sorrow, as do the rest who have no hope. Just a side note, Bible students, there are some that believe that Paul is responding to questions from the Thessalonian church, perhaps questions about love and work, uh, but more so to the point, they probably had a question about death and those who had died before the second coming. I told you when we did an introduction to these two letters that outside of Revelation, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians have the most content about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so they may have asked, uh, you know, okay, we've been learning that the Lord's going to come again. We've been learning about his glorious appearing. But what about those who die before he comes again? What happens to those people? And as I, you know, look into a camera representing a live stream group of our family. And those of you who are here, I know that we've all been touched by this because a lot of you have had to stand at a cemetery and lay somebody to rest and ask the big questions about what you believe. And Charles Swindoll said, you know, when it comes down to worldviews, it's not whether you can live with your worldview, it's whether you can die with it. And this is one of those areas that Christianity answers emphatically. Jesus answers this emphatically by his own resurrection. But Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Look at verse 13, brethren. I don't want you to be ignorant, this word can be translated, about those who are asleep. And asleep here is not physical rest or sleep. Uh, even Jesus said, he's sleeping of Lazarus, but I go to awaken him. And then he says, no, he's dead. Something about sleep that's uh, interesting just to think about as it relates to this is sleep is always temporary. You know, we, we sleep an evening worth of rest, and hopefully you all get a good night's rest. Maybe you take a nap, but you're always going to wake up from that. So sleep is a, uh, it's a way to define 
the Christian's body that has died. It's simply referred to as sleep. And so this is not that someone is sleeping in the way that we understand it. It is a metaphor, a picture, another way to say a Christian who has died. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died or died in the Lord. That you may not grieve or sorrow. Here's why Paul is encouraging them. As do the rest who have no hope. Now, in doing some study on, you know, just how other people looked at death and dying, in the Roman and Greek cultures, it was a, a bummer. It was really a hopeless kind of thing. There was a, a great cloud over death. It's seen in some of their grave markers, a real uncertainty, a real bummer. And I'll tell you, having pastored now almost uh, a couple, well, more than a couple of decades now, I can tell you this. The difference between a believer's memorial service and an unbeliever's funeral is the difference between day and night. Because I have looked at it, a group of people quite hopeful, Christians who know to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And even though they were grieving, they still were doing what I will call hopeful grieving. And that's what I would say to you that you and I can do in the face of death. And death is such a hard thing. And some of you have lost somebody recently. And even, you know, we think of, uh, you know, I'm a dog person, beloved pets. We were talking the other day about having to put down a couple of pets or, or dogs. And it's just such a hard thing. And I'll just tell you, you know, all dogs go to heaven. So you don't have to worry about that. Okay, the, the movie was right. All cats are totally in question. But... <laughs> We won't go there because I know I always ruffle some feathers. <laughs> but death is a hard thing. And here's, here's what you can pull out of verse thir 13, if nothing else. You can practice hopeful grieving or you can grieve with hope. Look at the end of the verse. See, the rest of the world has no hope. They are Ephesians 2.12, without hope, without God and without hope in the world. Those who don't have Jesus, who is the hope of all believers, don't have hope, but you have hope. And that hope is the anchor of your soul, and that hope is beyond the grave. And yes, you grieve. It is silly for any pastor to stand up and say to a group of people who have come to honor uh, a person who has died in the Lord, oh, there'll be no boo-hooing in here. The person's in heaven. Get over it. I would say, you preacher... You need to get over yourself. Because the Bible teaches that we grieve, but we do hopeful grieving, not hopeless grieving. Everybody with me? Of course you're going to grieve if you lose a loved one. You're going to grieve the, the missing of them, but your missing of them is simply temporary. And that's the good news. Amen? And right now we are hosting a grief share uh, evening here where people are trying to walk through, you know, what they would say are stages of grief. And there are certainly stages of grief and it is hard. And nobody should try to underestimate how much grief hurts and how, you know, it's hard to even articulate what people go through. But we as believers have hope beyond this life. I want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you don't sorrow as 
do the rest who have no hope. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team invite you to Harvest Fest 2020. Harvest Fest is free and will be outside Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. This is an entertaining, fun, and safe way for your family to spend October 31st. You and the kids will enjoy fun activities like trunks of treats, find your way through a life-size maze, play games like the cakewalk, and of course, have a chance to fellowship with worship music. Again, bring your family and friends and come out and meet Pastor Michael at Harvest Fest, October 31st from 6 to 8.30 p.m. outside Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Call 844-48-TRUTH for information and directions. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Of course you're going to grieve if you lose a loved one. You're going to grieve the, the missing of them, but your missing of them is simply temporary, and that's the good news. Amen? And right now we are hosting a grief share uh, evening here where people are trying to walk through you know, what they would say are stages of grief. And there are certainly stages of grief, and it is hard. And nobody should try to underestimate how much grief hurts and how, you know, it's hard to even articulate what people go through. But we as believers have hope beyond this life. I want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you don't sorrow as do the rest who have no hope. I've heard some amazing stories about, you know, people who have lost loved ones and they say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And they respond, oh, my, my child isn't lost. I know exactly where they are. My spouse isn't lost. I know exactly where they are. It's just a matter of me stepping in to that eternity and I'm going to be with them again. That is hopeful grieving. You say, well, on what basis can we say such things? Is this just simply pie in the sky? Is this just some, you know, made up thing to make us feel a little bit better as we stand in a cemetery or have to face death or a bad diagnosis? Well, look at verse 14. For if, and it could be rendered since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died, notice, in Jesus. This is the key. You want to die in the Lord. You don't want to go into eternity without knowing Jesus. And if you don't know him, please come to know him now. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul. How silly to put off the most important decision of your life. We had a woman some years back who came in. She was invited by some of the members here. She had been a Jehovah's Witness for a long time. She came in. She heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Her friends said that she prayed the sinner's prayer on the back row. Uh, they heard, overheard her praying as the prayer was led from the front. She left that evening. You know, you think, oh, great. You know, my friend opened their heart to the Lord. She was in her 20s and died of a car accident that week. We don't know what a day is going to bring. And so Paul says here, it's on the basis of the facts of the death and resurrection 14 of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, because I live, 
you will live also. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And he proved it by the immutable fact of the resurrection. He came out of the tomb. Amen? The enemies of the Lord had to lie about what happened. The apostles were behind closed doors and couldn't believe it for joy. But Jesus was alive. And he appeared over a period of 40 days. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 declaring the things of the kingdom to the apostles and giving evidence of his resurrection. For 40 days, he kept appearing to them. I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. Amen? And because he lives, we will live. If there is no resurrection, turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, it's going to be a little bit back in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, the most exhaustive uh, chapter on resurrection. Let's take a peek at a few verses for our encouragement. This is back in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 15. If there is no resurrection of the dead, and even, not even Christ has been raised, verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Moreover, we have even been found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, 16, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's worthless. You're still in your sins. You're dead. See, the wages of sin is death. And I'm not just talking about your body dying. I'm talking about a separation from God and judgment, 18. Then those who have fallen asleep, there's our idea of sleep again, in Christ have perished. They're under the judgment of God, Paul might say. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But keep reading. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits, the guarantee of the rest of the harvest of those who are asleep or who have died. For since by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. When? Each in his own order, 23, Christ, the first fruits. He rose in the very history in which we are embedded. We know that. After that, those who are Christ are going to rise when? At his coming. That's the second coming that we've been studying in First and Second Thessalonians. Then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. And then just skip down to verse 26. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Praise the Lord. Death dies in the second coming of Jesus Christ when we're all risen in our bodies. You say, well, then what is going on right now with someone who has died? Because that's the Thessalonian question. Well, we're going to get to that, but they are very much alive. They're more alive probably than they've ever been. You say, but their body's in the ground, or maybe they've been cremated, or maybe they you know, died in war, or were eaten by a shark. How, how does this work? See, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. That is, there is an intermediate state prior to the resurrection. What all that looks like, I do not know. But Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. So whatever it is, here's what we do know. It's that we're with the Lord. Some years ago, there was a preacher in the South. 
He had had a, uh, what they considered a pretty common heart surgery. He was uh, awake during the procedure. They were going up through his thigh, I believe, to fix a valve or fix uh, his arteries. And all of a sudden, he said, the doctor said to him, I'm so sorry, it's gone wrong. It's just gone wrong. And he said he, he, he just passed out. And he said he found himself walking with the Lord Jesus. He said it was more real or as real than as if he were walking to the store with his wife or a friend of his. He said, I was walking with Jesus in glory, in paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, most assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me, where? In paradise, which is another word for heaven. Hey, I'm telling you right now, today we're going to be hanging out in paradise. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Paradise? Can I get a witness? Today, you'll be with me. Stephen, when he's being stoned, he says, Lord, he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell asleep. To be sure, Stephen went right up to the Lord who was standing, I think, saying, good job, Stephen. Way to fight the good fight. Welcome home. This is the reality for all believers. You see, death is going to be abolished. You've been listening to Comfort One Another with These Words, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-18. through 18. And don't forget, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, can you do us a favor and follow us on Instagram or Twitter? We'd love to connect with you. We'd also like to give you a shout out in future programs. So, hey, DM us on Instagram or Twitter and let us know where you're listening from. Follow us and DM us at Walk in Truth Show. That's at Walk in Truth Show. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, in the Christian faith, we talk a lot about the crucifixion of Jesus and the cross of Christ. And the cross is the central part of our message, but it's not just the cross. It's the resurrection. See, without the resurrection, the gospel would not be complete. The gospel is about Jesus, but it's about his death and triumphant resurrection. And that resurrection, Jesus said, because I live, because I'm going to defeat death, you will live also. And the resurrection body of Jesus Christ is the prototype, if you will, for our body. In fact, when we get a glorified body, we'll be like our Lord. Some of that's a mystery, but in the same way that he had a glorified body and did some of the things that he did in the Gospels, our body will be similar in the resurrection. We will be us in the resurrection. And that's why we need to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the immutable fact of history. And uh, Simon Greenleaf actually said the most provable event in antiquity. That is amazing from the royal, the, the, the most preeminent mind, royal mind in legal evidence, Simon Greenleaf. So that's something important to consider. And it's not just him. Others who have uh, investigated the Christian faith have been converted by the evidence of the resurrection. Now we have a special event coming up and it's going to be on October the 31st. It's called Harvest Fest. We do this as a Halloween alternative each year. 
It happens at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It'll happen on the outside of our building, and it will be for you and your family from 6 to 8.30 p.m. on Halloween night called Harvest Fest. It's going to be a trunk and a treat evening where you will uh, be able to look at some cool decorated vehicles. Your kids will get candy. We'll have a maze. We'll have uh, a cakewalk. I'm, I'm looking forward to what that's going to look like. Anything with cake excites me. <laughs> but anyway, we'd like you to come. The address is 1009 Arsenal Way. It's Harvest Fest in the city of Corona at Living Truth. You can wear a costume if you want. We were just encouraging that you wear something biblical, if at all possible, or at least something not terribly dark, but something fun. Walkintruth.com is another place you can get info and directions. It's Harvest Fest, and it's October 31st, and we would love to meet you right here. We're going to have music. We're going to have candy. We're going to have food, games. It will be a lot of fun. Make your plans to join us today, and we'll see you right here tomorrow, Lord willing, on Walk in Truth. And one more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your $5 donation helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and to help you apply it to today's issues, trends, and culture. So please consider, if you can, donating or becoming a monthly partner. You can give your donation at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-18, through 18, called, Comfort One Another with These Words. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. It's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.